It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello and welcome to Locked On Vikings. I am your host. I'm your pal. I'm the kid you copied off in math class. My name is Luke Braun. You can follow me on Twitter at LukeBraunNFL. You can follow the show at Locked On Vikings. And we got a lot to talk about, so let's get into it. First, we got a little bit of Vikings news as the regular season has come to a close. We now see a lot of the teams that we talked about yesterday who fired their coaches uh, are going to start looking for those replacements, and there are some Vikings coordinators in the mix. Uh, Offensive coordinator Kevin Stefanski got an interview with the Browns. We mentioned that a little bit yesterday, but we didn't really talk about it as much as I wanted to. I, I find that really odd because Kevin Stefanski only coordinated three games. And those three games offensively were, like, not very good. They beat up on a bad Dolphins defense, they did okay against a bad Lions defense, and then the Bears defense suffocated them. So I think in terms of, like, getting an opportunity to be handed the keys to a franchise, I'm not sure Kevin Stefanski even comes close to qualifying. Now, that said, I I would love for him to be named the full-time offensive coordinator. I think he deserves that shot. But, you know, baby steps. Uh, Elsewhere in the offices of the Minnesota Vikings, George Edwards, uh, is going to go interview with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. That was reported, like, literally as I'm recording this on Tuesday night by Pro Football Talk Mike Florio. That makes a lot more sense, right? The Vikings defense has been good forever, and while everybody kind of knows that, like, Mike Zimmer is the mastermind behind this, you can also kind of assume that if you poach George Edwards, his kind of right-hand man, that George Edwards would kind of take all of those strategies and all of the things that make Mike Zimmer good at defense and port them over to your team. And so the Tampa Bay Buccaneers would be like pretty wise to do that, I think. Um, I, I've always been a big fan of George Edwards in the organization. I know that he's not the mastermind, and I know he's not the guy drawing up the schemes and the plays and coming up with the kind of overall rules. That's what makes Mike Zimmer really, that's probably his best trait as a head coach is like him doing that job. But George Edwards is an implementer, right? If if Zimmer is the mastermind and he's the one figuring out what players should do, I would say George Edwards is very heavily responsible for how often the defense does those things properly. He's been with the team for uh, five years now as the defensive coordinator for Mike Zimmer, and I really do think that it's like time for him to maybe get a chance at moving higher. I would be super sad to lose him, but I think in this league, you kind of have to get used to good coordinators leaving to become head coaches. Elsewhere in the NFC North, we'll just cover a little bit of that coaching news. Uh, it was kind of already assumed, but the Lions and Jim Bob Cooter are going to part ways. His contract is up in a couple of months, so unless they were going to extend him, he was going to be done with the Lions anyways, and the Lions, I don't think, were very happy with his play calling. I think Lions fans really vilified him in the same way that we vilified John Filippo. so the Lions elected not to extend him. They're just going to let the contract run out, and then Jim Bob Cooter will be free to pursue his next opportunity. Uh, in Chicago... Vic Fangio is also getting head coaching interviews. That would be excellent news for the Vikings. Vic Fangio is has really proven to be an excellent defensive mind, and uh, getting him out of the division would be a really nice thing, in my opinion at least. And the Packers coaching search continues on. We'll definitely cover that when they make a decision. 
Yesterday, we talked a little bit about the decision the Wilfs had made where they basically declared, no, we're not going to make any major staff shakeups. And what we didn't cover uh, when we talked about that, and I want to talk about it a little bit here, is Mike Prefer. That also means that Mike Prefer is going to presumably stay on as the special teams coach for at least one more year. And that is probably the most surprising decision of all of those. Uh, if anybody was going to have to go, it was going to be Prefer, right? He has largely been held responsible for all of the kicker woes from what happened to Blair Walsh to what happened to Daniel Carlson. His greatest accomplishments were basically the kick return, unbelievable performances that we got from like Cordero Patterson and prime Marcus Sherrill's that are kind of showing to not really be to his credit. So like the things that gave him this amazing tenure in Minnesota are like proving to kind of not be his and like not be owned by him and the failures on special teams that we've seen more recently are proving to be owned by him so I, I would not have been surprised to see him be let go however I think the Vikings and the Wilfs kind of want to be one of those organizations that shows patience they want to be a lot more like the Steelers and a lot less like the Browns which when you put it that way obviously that sounds pretty good but uh we'll see in 2019 how the special teams unit uh performs and if it continues to struggle you know if the Vikings hang on to Dan Bailey or get a new kicker or whatever and that kicker struggles I wouldn't be surprised to see that go to a mid-season firing so last uh, little update before we move on to the meat of the episode there were a couple articles that came out that were kind of postmortems on the Vikings that I really enjoyed and I just wanted to shout out so that you could go find them as well I'll put links in the show notes the first one is uh, at the athletic it's a paywall article but I Strongly recommend buying The Athletic. There's a lot of really great content out there. This was from uh, Arif Hassan. He did a kind of postmortem on, like, what went wrong with the Vikings. And he really does a great job of laying out with the proper and necessary nuance exactly what sank the Vikings. You know, a lot of the replies to that article were like, it was the offensive line. Why do you need to make it more complicated? But that is so reductive it doesn't really get to the crux of like a why the offensive line was bad and how the offensive line was bad obviously we all know that it struggled and that hurts the team but it also like that article really goes into the exercise of like describing what that looked like and i think it it examines the failures up front in a way that i don't think you're really going to see from anybody else and it took that same lens and looked at a lot of the other offensive failures, you know, the quarterbacking, the play calling, all the things that went wrong, and and also, you know, what happened on defense. I thought it was just a really nice comprehensive review of, like, what happened to the 2018 Minnesota Vikings. And the second one comes from Matt Collar at 1500 ESPN. I'm a huge fan of his. Uh, he did an article basically describing the impact that pressure had on Kirk Cousins, you know, again, we all understand that there was a ton of pressure. I think there was a stat going around that he was under like over 250 pressures this season, which is insane, even after you account for like how many passes there were. But that article, I thought, did a really good job of going in depth and saying, okay, how bad was pressure for Kirk Cousins? Because it's worse for some quarterbacks than others, right? If you recall last season, pressure on Case Keenum wasn't so bad. He was amazing at avoiding sacks and he could always make something happen. Was Kirk Cousins up to that standard or was he average or was he worse than average? Matt Collar did a great job of like laying out kind of that 
side of the Kirk Cousins evaluation. So again, links to those will be in the show notes. Go check them out. Can't recommend them highly enough. We're going to go to a quick break. And when we come back, we'll talk about the meat of the episode. Some of the stats that I think truly describe the 2018 Minnesota Vikings. See you in a second. Hi, this is David Locke, the CEO of the Lockdown Podcast Network. In this crazy, unprecedented, and unnerving time, I know we're all living our lives a little differently. I thought we had some of our sponsors over the time that might be able to help you out. So we've reached out to them to get you specific offers. Postmates is giving our listeners $100 of free delivery credit for their first seven days. Start your free deliveries, download the Postmates app, and use the promo code LOCKEDONNBA. Anxiety, stress, need something to calm yourself down? The Calm app is available for you. 40% off to our listeners at calm.com slash locked on NBA. Stuck at home, want fitness? Echelon Fit has been a sponsor of ours. And you can go to echelonfit.com slash L-O-N-B-A. And if you're looking to add some new knowledge and get a little smarter in your free time, Masterclass, or at least your time at home, masterclass.com slash P-E-R is offering 15% off. If you missed any of those, go to lockdownpodcast.com slash offers. That's lockdownpodcast.com slash offers. Thank you very much for tuning in to Lockdown Podcast Network. We hope to be here for you to give you a relief and respite from all the other news. And thanks very much. Be safe and practice your social distancing. And welcome back. Let's look at some stats. What I wanted to do with this segment was to look at some more advanced numbers than what you will like typically see in a segment like this or an article like this where you know you could probably look at five numbers that, you know, define the Viking season and use some of the more like you could you could find an article that will use some of the more like base level numbers that everybody's familiar with. Oh, Diggs and Thielen both got 1,000-yard seasons. Yeah, that's probably, you know, Kirk Cousins' 4,000-yard season or this many rushing yards or this, you know, this run-to-pass ratio, this many sacks, blah, 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 right? But those are all stats that describe results, not necessarily stats that describe how those results happened. And the more you listen to this show, hopefully the more you'll kind of understand where I come from when it comes to, t- to statistics because I think they can really do a great job of describing football and what's happening on the football field and really supplementing what you see when you watch the game, but they can be very, very misleading if you don't use the right ones. And the unfortunate thing is that those wrong stats or the stats that don't tend to to tell the full story like total yards, you know, quarterback wins, things that you always see getting made fun of are also the ones that are like the most mainstream. But we can be smarter here on Locked On Vikings and we're going to try to be. So the first stat that I wanted to go over is that the Vikings had the fourth most drives in the league. That means like possessions, right? And that's not necessarily a good or a bad thing. It just is a thing. It just kind of describes the tempo of those games. But I find that really interesting that they had so many drives and really the the scenario that it describes or like points towards is teams just getting like dueling three and outs, right? Where the Vikings would go three and out and then they'd punt the ball and then the other team would go three and out because the Vikings defense was amazing. And then they'd punt it back and it was just like a whole bunch of punt duels. Now, despite that much opportunity the Vikings had a very poor offense right they fired a coordinator and everybody will really point to the offense as the reason that the Vikings failed they averaged five and a half 
plays per drive, which is tied with the Buffalo Bills for fifth worst in the league. That's pretty bad. So if you think about that, every time they would receive the ball, the drive would average five plays and then punt, maybe a sixth. And I really like that those two numbers in tandem as a descriptor for the Vikings season because it really does paint the picture of a team that was set up with as many opportunities as it possibly could have had. All you had to do was win nine games. All you had to do was be productive in games where the other team was constantly punting the ball back to you because your defense was doing well, and they just were not up to the task. They only needed to be average, and they weren't even close to that. So moving on, probably the biggest moment for the team, especially on offense, probably the biggest moment of the whole season, though, was the firing of John Filippo. And I think no stat encapsulates the kind of before and after of that move better than play-action percentage. Now, if you followed my work leading up to the season, uh, and a lot of the work that people have done on Kirk Cousins, you should be familiar with the fact that he is very notoriously an excellent play-action passer. Play-action helps all quarterbacks, but it helps Kirk Cousins more than it helps others, which means that the Vikings have a very good reason to use play-action like the most that they can. Now, John Filippo probably didn't think that his run game was good enough to be comfortable with play-action. There's a lot of data that shows that that might be a myth, that you don't need the run to be good, you just need it to be viable in that situation, like you just need to be in a down and distance where you could possibly run, but they don't actually need to respect if it's good or not to still bite on the fake, provided it's a good fake, of course. So all that prefacing said, the Vikings under John Filippo had 18% play-action. That was in the bottom 10 of the league, and in my opinion, unacceptable. I don't think I, I really gave that enough respect when I was talking about John Filippo down the stretch. You know, we talked a lot about run gaps, and we talked a lot about how he kind of used short passes to replace the run game, and that, like, skewed some of his ratios and stuff. But he didn't use play action nearly enough, and I think that was probably the biggest sin he committed as the offensive coordinator of the Minnesota Vikings. And when Kevin Stefanski took over... It jumped up to 28%, which is a much more normal number. It actually goes to above the league average. Um, And there's actually one outlier. This has nothing to do with the Vikings. I just find it neat that the Ravens with Lamar Jackson are using play action 41% of the time. That's more than McVay with Goff, who is like, that's the famous they use play action all the time duo. What the Ravens are, are doing on offense is highly unorthodox, and it's super fun to watch. And the last offensive stat that I'm going to go into before we move on to the defensive ones is that Kirk Cousins was pressured on 38.9% of his passes. That's seventh most in the league, which is actually kind of amazing that for all the games we watched of the Vikings, there are six offensive lines that are doing worse than that, Um, including, you know, the quarterback. A lot of those teams have like run around mobile quarterbacks that invite pressure on themselves. And sometimes that's okay, right? Sometimes you accept that they invite pressure because it means they're extending the play. Uh, But I digress. Kirk Cousins was under pressure a whole bunch. And on pressured plays, he led the league in completion percentage of quarterbacks that played more than, I think, like four games. 
And I really like how that describes the Vikings offense. You really get this image of Kirk Cousins getting pressured a whole bunch, dumping the ball off, getting a completion, but the completion is only for two yards. And that's really the rut that the offense was in all the time. You know, it would be second and eight. You'd get a pressure. You'd get a two-yard completion. It would bring up third and six, rinse, repeat, and you'd be punting a whole bunch of the time. You're going to see as people kind of do their, like, postmortems on on Kirk Cousins' first season with the Vikings, you're going to see a lot of people talk about his pressure numbers and his lack of aggressiveness. This was also mentioned in the uh, the Arif article that I pointed out earlier in the show. But basically, Kirk Cousins was a pretty conservative quarterback. He didn't throw deep a lot. He didn't throw into tight windows too much. Now, I, I don't know. that That's a, a next-gen stat that I'm not sure I believe in because I think just from the eye test, he took a lot of risky throws. But on the whole he was really more inclined to check down when under pressure than to try to make something happen, throw one deep, heave one. And the offense as a whole didn't really have a lot of deep passing involved that weren't like all or nothing shot plays, like what we saw down the stretch with like those big posts or the, you know, the one in the Lambo game that ended up being this huge touchdown to Diggs. Like there were plays like that, but there weren't a lot of deep, you know, more aggressive, push the ball down the field kind of chunk play type throws. And I think this issue of not the amount of pressure, which is an issue, but a separate one, but the issue of when pressure came, it just meant this is going to be a two yard play every time is something that I think the Vikings are going to have to get really, really creative on how they solve. Because even if they do improve the offensive line and they should work very hard to do so, you still, you're not going to get rid of all of the pressure and you still have to find a strategy to make it so that when the play is pressured, it doesn't die. So those are the three stats for the offense. We are going to go to a quick break and when we come back, we'll do the same thing for the defensive side of the ball. And welcome back. So the defense in 2018 regressed a little from their 2017 numbers. And that's not really to say that the defense in 2018 was anything to be concerned about. It's more that their 2017 performance was pretty much irreplicable. And the level that they regress down to is probably a more sustainable level. And it's still like very good. I think they were still like the eighth or ninth best defense by a few measures, or they kind of end up in that range. That's very good. That's something that you can definitely be competitive with if you can lift your offense up. But the regression, like I, the regression is still worth explaining, even though we shouldn't really be concerned about it. We should still investigate it. So the first stat in that regard that I wanted to talk about has to do with Eric Kendricks. So targeting Eric Kendricks on average got the other team 9.4 yards. Now that is a stat that probably needs to be explained a little bit. Um, when you're targeted in defense, that usually insinuates that you were already in bad coverage or you had already lost, right? So this doesn't really, this is like kind of cherry picks all of Kendricks's worst plays. So take it with a grain of salt. But as a linebacker, you know, linebacker, think about the passes that linebackers are generally defending against. They're defending against outs and slants and, you know, things that are typically not very high leverage. They shouldn't be defending 20 yard catches down the field, but Eric Kendricks often allowed passes to be caught that ended up in gains of that size. That was a really big problem. And his regression in coverage was really, really significant. Not enough to sink the whole defense. Like I said before, they were still very good. But Eric Kendricks, after signing a an, an extension, had this kind of drop-off. 
I think if we're looking toward 2019, I would expect that to bounce right back. I think this was an outlier season for Eric Kendricks, and and I don't I don't think that this season's Eric Kendricks was the linebacker that he actually is. But I think a lot of teams were able to come into games against the Vikings and say, okay, target number 54, that'll get us most of the way to a first down on average. That's not a very good place to be on defense. So I think the story of the 2018 Vikings defense has to kind of be told through the like ascension of these backups, right? Holden Hill and Mackenzie Alexander and Eric Wilson had a pretty nice year too, even though he wasn't very good in the in the final game. But I think, you know, the the biggest improvement we saw was Mackenzie Alexander post Hughes injury especially. So if you take he was kind of splitting snaps with Mike Hughes until Mike Hughes went down in week six. So if you take from week seven on Mackenzie Alexander only allowed 0.59 yards per cover snap. Now, I've talked about that stat a lot, but I'll explain it again. All that means is every you take all of the coverage snaps that he played and all the yards that he allowed in his coverage and divide it, and this turns out to be a really good stat to evaluate uh, cornerbacks because it rewards them for going through a whole play in coverage and not being targeted, which more often than not means that you, know, you were in good enough coverage to not look like an opportunity to the quarterback. So by this stat, Mackenzie Alexander was awesome in relief of Mike Hughes. And I remember when he went down, you know, there was a lot of nervous energy around that. Mackenzie Alexander was not playing. He had not been playing to his expectations pre-draft. We all kind of thought that he was like busting and he came in and really, really showed up. And I think he is a great example of that happening all over the Vikings defense, especially in the secondary. So I think it's a really descriptive stat to kind of tell the story of the 2018 defense. So the last one that I'm going to go over is unfortunately another regression. And this one makes me really sad because I think in 2017, Harrison Smith was the best safety in football. And in 2018, I don't even know if he was above average. He regressed unbelievably hard, especially in coverage. Using that same yards per cover snap stat, he gave up 0.45 yards per cover snap in 2017. Safeties tend to give up fewer yards per cover snap, right? Because usually pass plays will target the cornerbacks or the linebackers. But 0.45 was an amazing number, and there were very few safeties that got close to it in that year. In 2018, that number shot up to 1.79 yards per cover snap, which is not in the top half of the league. Now, similarly to Eric Kendricks, this is not who Harrison Smith is, right? We've seen him play for a whole bunch of years on the Vikings, and this might be his worst year on the team. Things are going to bounce back in 2019 for him. We can kind of expect the same the same way we could expect 2017 to kind of regress back to normalcy. We can expect Kendricks and Smith to regress back up to normalcy. Regression works both ways. But I think things like that really describe kind of what happened with the 2018 Minnesota Vikings. You had a lot of games where players you were used to being stars did not perform or were even picked on. And that is really disappointing. I mean, I even think back to the Bills game, you know, you saw Anthony Barr just get blown away time and time again and get hurtled by Josh Allen and You know, you think, oh, this is the guy that's supposed to be tailor-made to chase down quarterbacks, and he's getting run around the field like he doesn't know where he is. That kind of thing happened over and over and over again in 2018, and I think a lot of the reason that the Vikings weren't able to win enough games is because there were just 
just too many examples of a superstar not playing up to what we need those superstars to play up to. So that's going to do it for the like analytical like stats recap of the, the 2018 Minnesota Vikings season. If you're more interested in some statistical stuff, I highly recommend checking out those articles I mentioned earlier. There's a lot of good numbers in them. If you want more of like a film angled take, we're going to talk a ton more about that. We've got all off season to go to go over that kind of thing. Now, looking toward tomorrow's podcast, uh, this will probably do it for Viking stuff for this week because I do want to cover wildcard weekend. I want to preview wildcard weekend. Uh, we won't go nearly into depth into all of those games as we would if there were a Vikings game, but there's still NFL football being played. And even though it's not our favorite team, I'm sure a lot of people are still very interested. So I think we should talk about it. So tom- tomorrow's show is going to be focused on previewing wildcard weekend. And then the Monday show after that, we'll review Wildcard Weekend, and then we'll do a little bit more kind of post-mortem season in review stuff, uh, like what today's episode was in the middle of the week, and then we'll just, you know, continue to preview playoff games till we run out of them. Um, so I hope that you enjoyed today's episode. I hope you enjoyed getting a little nerdy with me, a little math class with me. Uh, I will see you tomorrow. We will talk about all the Wildcard games. Keep your chin up. There's always next year. And skull. Hey, sports fans. My name is Ben Beacon. I'm the host of Locked On Wolves, the Minnesota Timberwolves podcast on the Locked On NBA Network. The Wolves might be in the middle of what's turned out to be a pretty miserable season, but there's still plenty to talk about. From the aftermath of the trade deadline to looking ahead at what moves Gerson Rosas and the front office might be planning for the summer, to the possibility that all-star snub Carl Anthony Towns could go off on any given night, it's still going to be a fun spring. Tune into Locked On Wolves daily, Monday through Friday. I'm Ben Beacon with Locked On Wolves, and we'll catch you next time.